gospel, if you will turn to Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> oh, I was going to read you a thank you note. We'd already received you. I told you about one thank you note that we had gotten from your haven for the money that you sent. But um, Angela A. Walt <clears throat> is on the board, and she has written a note, so I'll read it to you. I got it this morning. Um, thank you for your donation to your haven, the place of recovery. Your Haven is committed to supporting individuals who are seeking recovery or are already involved in long-term recovery. Your generous gift allows these individuals and their loved ones to know that their community loves them, believes in them, and wants them to get better. With kind regards, Angela Awalt. So Angela just took it upon herself to send us that note, and I wanted you to know about it. So Matthew chapter 5. <coughs> We're in verse 38 today. And deep down in the human heart is the tendency to retaliate. Did I hear a giggle? It's in there. We got it, don't we? We've got it. So it is in us to be spiteful, to be vengeful, to want to pay back. And it's part of the curse of sin. It's part of the fall. It's part of our flesh. And so it's a get-even kind of mentality. Um, let me read these verses, and then we're going to talk about them. Verse 38, Jesus says, <coughs> You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist him who is evil. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. And whoever shall force you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. This is a dreadfully misunderstood passage. <coughs> And it's used many times for the wrong reasons. The Jewish misunderstanding of an eye and an eye for, or in a tooth for a tooth uh, became a license for vengeance. It came a lot, became a license for vendettas. And so they interpreted that verse as biblical permission to have a grudge and to pay back. Now, we've just been through a long study on bitterness and forgiveness where we've understood that God says, no bitterness no grudge, no paying back. And so here they come along with this verse, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So remember that Jesus is speaking about the form of religion that was developed by the scribes and Pharisees, and they believed that they had attained righteousness on their own. So remember that what they've done is they've taken the law of God and dwindled it down to something they think they can do. And so they're proud of themselves, and they're self-righteous because of that. And so they believe they had attained righteousness by their own merit. And they believe that they could enter the kingdom of God by their own self-righteousness, which is a complete contradiction to everything else in Scripture. It's a complete contradiction to what Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. So they covered up their sinfulness by law and ritual and legalism. 
And Jesus is about the business of showing them their need for a Savior. Now, that's what I want you to see. If you had to summarize the whole Sermon on the Mount and what Jesus is saying and doing, he is showing the need for a Savior. All right? And so he's trying to get the Pharisees to understand that what they're doing doesn't count. It's not godly. God's not impressed. And so they need a Savior. So this passage has caused a lot of confusion because a lot of people have used this passage to teach all kinds of things. And uh, you're going to find things coming out of this passage from some people that say no police, especially that part there where he says um, uh, <coughs> don't resist him who is evil. Well, people take that phrase and say, we don't need an army. We don't need police. We don't need laws. We don't need, you know, any of that stuff. No war, no capital punishment, because they lift that out. And so this takes the same outline here as all of these other things Jesus has been teaching in the sermon. And so there's the principle of the law of Moses, which he states. And there's the perversion of the Jewish teaching which is here, and then there's the teaching of Jesus. So he starts the same way there in verse 38 with, you have heard that it was said. Well, the interesting thing about this is it actually is said that in the Old Testament. It's there three times. And so Jesus says, you operate on this principle, but they had changed the emphasis. They had taken the Old Testament teaching out of context, and they've changed the emphasis of it. They've changed the, the interpretation of it. So here it is in its simple form. Okay, I have to get stuff down to where I can. The simple form is there is civil law and there is moral law. There is civil law and there is moral law. And God instituted both of them. The moral law is between a person and God. You can read about that in Exodus 20. Ten Commandments, okay? So the moral law is between me and God. But in Exodus chapters 21, 22, and 23, you've got civil law. And the civil law is structured with judges and magistrates and courts and daily constituted authorities. And so God instituted the framework of civil government to take care of civil matters. Because everybody in moral law is not going to worry about pleasing God, right? So the, for the preservation of peace and society, God instituted civil law. So when the Old Testament uses the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth phrase three times, every time it relates to a civil situation, a civil law situation, it's not a statement about personal relationships that said, if Jane slaps me, I need to slap her back, okay? So <clears throat> it is a guide. It is meant to be a guide for governor, government authorities. It's meant to be a guide for judges, for magistrates, for all of those people. But the Pharisees have taken this principle that was to be applied in civil court and made it a reason for personal vendetta. And they're two totally different things. The intent of the Old Testament was to control sin. The principle of the teaching basically meant that the punishment was to fit the crime. 
if somebody knocked your tooth out, you didn't need to kill him for it. You need to, needed the government, the judge needed to respond in a way that was equivalent to losing a tooth. And so the whole, the Old Testament is full of all of that. So civil law was ordained by God for the purpose of preserving law and order. That's what civil law is for, ordained by God. Uh, turn with me to 1 Timothy for just a second. 1 Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8. And he tells us um, why God gave the, the civil law. Look at verse 8. He says, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully realizing the fact that law was not made for a righteous man, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So God gave the law for peace and order for the civil law to be applied to protect society from its sinfulness. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was a stipulation for a legal court. It instructed the court system. And so it is to take revenge and vindication out of personal relationships. I can't do that to Jane, but if appropriate, I can let the law deal with Jane. See? And so that's the difference between the moral law and the civil law. Uh, justice was to be fair and equal. And the punishment was never to exceed the crime. So that's what he meant every time in the Old Testament when he said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It was not instruction to go smack somebody and do back to them what they did to you. It was never that. And so let's understand and get this clearly in our minds that courts of law and human relationships are not the same thing. Okay? The law has its place in society, and we have our place in the church. So where the Jews missed it is that they took the principle out of the law courts and put it in their personal lives. And so instead of letting the court do its thing, instead of letting the court do its assignment, they were just taking it up on their own. And so they operated with all of this vengeance and revenge and vendettas. And that's not the way God intended it. And he's going to go on and clarify that here in a minute. Look at verse 39, back in uh, Matthew chapter 5. Verse 39. So he says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist him who is evil. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. 
anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat. Whoever shall force you to go one mile, go two. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. And so they've taken this principle out, and so Jesus says, understand this. This verse must be understood with regard to the whole counsel of God, not just that one little spot, not just taking that verse out of the Old Testament. So Jesus is not not telling us to say he is not hear me he is not telling us to say okay just walk all over me abuse me take steal everything i have um you know just take it just take it i will just be a victim of all of this and i'm not going to resist the evil no 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 okay James chapter 4 verse 7 says resist the devil. So these people that want to take this verse and say we're not ever supposed to resist anything, anywhere, anytime. No, that's not what he's saying. Because you look at all the places in scripture that Jesus demonstrates resisting. We're commanded to resist the devil. In 1 Peter 5 9 we're commanded to resist the devil. In Galatians chapter 2 when Peter sinned, Paul resisted him. He withstood him face to face, pointed out his error. He didn't just take it. Um, in 1 Corinthians 5, those who were sinning in the church were to be put out of the church. So there is a resisting of evil. It's not, he's not saying just let all evil go, let it run its course. He's not saying that at all. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says if somebody sins, go to him. So he gives us all kinds of ways to properly deal with the sin. Uh, Jesus even made a whip and cleansed the temple, right? He didn't take the position of, oh, I'm just going to let y'all do it. Mm -mm. And you cannot find that. When you look at the whole counsel of God, God's word is never going to contradict itself. So we got to see how he applies this. So we're to deal with sin personally and in the church. But in Romans 13, government is given for us to protect the good and punish the evil. That's what government is for. It is not for the church sin. Uh, it is a God-given institution. Civil government is a God-given institution. And the church is to work in tandem with civil government. They fit together. They work together. So when we see a crime, we ought to report it. When we know where a criminal is, we ought to report it. We need to inform law enforcement. We are to protect ourselves and the people we love using the laws that have been given to government by God. So it's not to be a vengeance thing. It's what keeps law and order. It's what keeps peace. It what's keep, it's what keeps our society protected. So you can imagine the chaos if we just closed down the police department and everybody said, okay, just go do what you want to do. Just steal whatever you want to steal. Get, you know, do whatever you want to do. What kind of chaos is that? And so God instituted, instituted civil, civil government to keep that from happening. It's got its place. It's got its anointing by God. It's got its assignment by God. And so when we deal with it, when we have to call the law, it's not to be a vengeance thing. 
So what's going to happen here? I'm going to call the law to Jane if she steals my stuff. But I'm going to pray for Jane. And Jane's going to be safe with me. I'm going to walk with her through whatever the civil government needs to do to her. But I, in my heart, before the Lord, am going to release forgiveness to her. But I do not have authority to release forgiveness from the government. Do you see the difference? And so that's what he's talking about here. Um, the Jews said, we'll just track through some more of this. This was interesting. The Jews said that the most demeaning thing that you could do to another person was to slap him in the face with the back of your hand. Now, go figure. But that's what's said. All right? And so it was doubly arrogant. It was one thing to slap, but it was another thing doubly arrogant and awful for somebody to slap you with the back of his hand. It was a highly demeaning thing. Look at verse 39. Jesus says, I say to you, do not resist him who is evil, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, um, commentators want to say that most people are what? Right-handed, right? So if I'm going to come over here and if I'm going to slap Jane on her right cheek, I'm going to do it how? With my right hand, it's going to be with the back of my hand so most commentators agree that that's really what jesus is talking about that what you're doing is something demeaning okay because i'm slapping their right cheek with my right hand so it it was doubly demeaning and so it, they were dishonored, and so what this, what the position these Pharisees were taking was, I'm going to dishonor you. I'm going to humiliate you. And Jesus says, mm-mm, let him do it. Just let him do it. Why? Because the eyes of the believer are not on the offender, but on the Lord. And so then he says, when you are demeaned and dishonored don't retaliate bring it to me where does vengeance belong vengeance is mine i will repay saith the lord so there's this personal vengeance and it stands in contrast to legal vengeance to legally dealing with something look at verse 40 he says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. So again, this is in a court of law. And he says, if somebody has come to court and you have to give him your shirt, don't be bitter. Don't be bitter. You're going to show the light of Christ. Don't be, angered. Don't don't be angry. Don't retaliate. Show him that you're just sorry that it all happened. Here's my coat. You need my shirt. I'll just give you my coat. And so what's that happening is you're showing them the love of Christ. Show him your heart is right toward him. Give him more than he asked for because in doing that, we free God up to do his own vengeance thing. We pave the way for the Lord to be seen. Look at verse 41. 
Whoever shall force you to go one mile, go with him too. Uh, there's a lot of history to this, but basically when a Roman soldier, a Roman soldier could ask a citizen to carry his pack for him, but he couldn't ask him to carry it more than a mile. And really, this is about my rights. Let's say that I'm on my work one morning, on my way to work one morning, and a Roman soldier stops me and says, you've got to carry my pack. What? I've got the right to go to work and be at work on time, right? So what this is all about, if we wanted to do a long lesson on this, is how do we deal with what we think are our personal rights? And so here comes this Roman soldier, and, you know, he says, you're going to carry my pack for a mile. And Jesus says, you tell him, I'll take it too. And so what's happening here is that the heart of Christ is being revealed through his people. And then verse 42. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Now he is not saying that we are to empower somebody who is lazy and doesn't want to work. You see that in all other all the other parts of Scripture. Again, if you're going to put this up to the whole counsel of God, what he's saying here is you help somebody who has a genuine need. Help a person who's having a genuine need. And so basically what God is saying through all of this is this is the kind of heart you're to have. You're to have a forgiving heart, a kind heart, a generous heart. And so it's all here. So let's be clear. Jesus is not prohibiting justice. He is not prohibiting war or capital punishment. Listen, who designed capital punishment? God. And so what's happened? We've got courts now in the land who want to come along, and the court wants to take the church side which doesn't work, and the court wants to say, oh, we forgive you, you know, just go on. You know, I'm going to, we're just going to let this go. Just, and this is just a personal opinion, but let me ask you a question about capital punishment. If you knew, if everybody knew that if you committed a crime that the civil law demanded capital punishment for, and it was going to happen, and it was going to happen quickly, would you do it? I bet not. And so in this society where we're having all of this um, let it go, you know, where we're having all of this uh, just, just leave it alone, you know, and, you know, it's showing up in children. It's showing up in the behavior of children because God has given a specific line that we're not to cross. But we're living in a day that's wanting to get rid of that line. And what happens then is we have total chaos. And all of the scriptures that warn against unjust judges and all of those things, we're asking for total chaos for more and more trouble 
because God had a plan and we have so adjusted God's plan. It's not that God's plan doesn't work. It's that it's not working because of the way we fixed it for him. See? And so that's what Jesus is talking about here. Justice belongs in the courts. And God will hold the courts accountable to doing it right. You know? And sometimes we may have an opportunity to influence that. I don't know how much we do, but we might. But God has given that kind of responsibility to the courts. But in human relations... As people of God, we're to be forgiving and generous and loving. But it does not mean that you continue to take the sin being dealt out on you that is against the law. But you let the law deal with it. Y'all are looking at me like, Don't start throwing tomatoes. So what it says. Okay. Jesus. And then he goes on. So you'll see where he's going with this. And we'll take this up next week. And we got to quit. He says. Um, verse uh, 42. Give to him who asks of you. Don't turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. And then he says. You've, served, you've heard it was said. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you. Do what? Love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. In order that you may. This translation says. You may be sons of the father. No. A better translation is that you may show. That you are sons of the father. Okay. That you will show that you are sons of your father who is in heaven. So all of it's tied together. And that's where he's going with it. But there's a role for civil government and we are to support it and participate with it. With a godly mindset. A godly intention. Always wanting to accomplish what Jesus is trying to accomplish here, which is what? That they will know that they need a savior. That they will know. Any questions? Sylvia's not here. Comments? Yes, sir. Civil law and church law or moral law, they're two totally different things. They cooperate together, but they're not the same thing. All right? So civil law really ought to just be for lost people because lost people ought to be the only people that are acting bad, right? We wish. We wish. I love you and I look forward to next Sunday and we'll start right there. God bless you.